Hello and welcome to Naked and a Little Bit Afraid with Mel and Kay. Join us as we peel back the layers into a space of vulnerability, unfiltered, unscripted, 100% us, fully clothed. Today we have an amazing guest named Chelsea. Yes, I'm lucky. She's my cousin, so I know her, but Kaylin doesn't and most likely a lot of you don't. So Chelsea, welcome. Hey, how are you guys? Good, we're here. Well, I'm here, kind of. I've, I'm right ramble more so than ever, so we'll find out. <laughs> okay, All right, Chelsea. Um, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I have been told that you have a very um, impactful story, and um, you know something that we definitely need to talk about. So take it away. Yeah, I think. Like, so the story I'm going to talk about today is about postpartum depression and psychosis. And I just think it's something that, like, should be talked about more. Like, you hear about postpartum depression and, like, at your six-week checkup, they say, how are you feeling? You're good. But they ask you one question and then you move on, right? And so, and then you don't hear anything else about it. So when I thought about postpartum depression before I had my kids, I just thought it was, like, sad. You're just sad. And that has not been what my experience was. Um, Yeah, it was so much more than just being sad. Um, So to preface, I have a six month old now, he'll be six months next week, Nicholas. Um, So he was born in January. And when he was six weeks, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety. And four days after I was diagnosed, um, I was admitted into the hospital into the psych ward, essentially. Um, And that was for um, like self-harming thoughts. So it happened so fast, like so quick. Um, When he was born, I knew something was wrong. Like I knew that I wasn't feeling very connected to him. And he was like, oh, well, he's my second. So I know what I'm doing. And like it'll come and I'm busy with Carter, my oldest. So like, you just kind of ignore it, right? You're like, yeah, it'll, it'll happen. It's fine. And then six weeks goes by and it just isn't getting any better. Um, so yeah, we had, there was like a breakthrough moment kind of when I knew that I needed help. Um, it was in the middle of the night. I had been feeding Nick, Dan, my husband was sleeping, Carter was sleeping. Um, I fed him, he went back to sleep, and then I just held him for three hours and sobbed, like three hours straight. He's sleeping, I'm in the dark, and I'm sobbing hysterically, cannot stop. And all I'm thinking that moment is, I don't want to be your mom. Like, I, it was such a burden to take care of him is what I was thinking. And like, that is, like, do you have kids, Kaylin? Uh, no, I do not have kids, um, but I've always been surrounded by kids. <laughs> it's just like, you never want to feel that way about your kids. You know, I mean, about any kid, like you don't want to feel like that at all. I'm a teacher, so like I take care of kids all day. But like looking at him and just knowing that, like, that's what I'm thinking, like, I don't want to be your mom, is the worst feeling in the world. Like truly the hardest thing ever. And we went through infertility with both babies. So we had to do an IUI, like, um, which is a step before IVF kind of, 
for him. Um, so he was a baby that we fought for and that we wanted for a long time. And so to have that polar opposite of like, I fought so long for you and I've wanted you so bad to now you're here and I don't want you was just completely like terrifying to feel like that. So I sat there for three hours and cried. And then I went to wake up my husband at like four in the morning. I was like, hey, you need to get the baby. Like something is wrong. And so he asked, is there something wrong with you or with the baby? And I was like, with me. So just take him and we'll figure this out in the morning. So then I went to sleep and he woke me up at six to go, like he had to go to work. So he went to shower and I go to feed Nick again. And I, he comes out and I'm just sobbing hysterically again. And he was like, are you going to make it through this day? Like, are you okay with him? And I was like, I don't think so. So he stayed home from work that day. And I cried from six in the morning on Wednesday until 11 in the morning on Thursday, straight, no stopping. Like slept or cried, couldn't do anything else. Couldn't take care of the kids. Couldn't talk, like just couldn't do anything. Like I didn't know what was wrong or what was happening. So yeah, so then we called like the doctor and I got diagnosed and they started me on meds. And so like that all happened on Thursday. And the pharmacist said to me when he gave me the meds, he says, just so you know, these meds can like cause suicidal ideations. And I was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure, whatever. That's not going to happen to me. So then I like didn't even listen to him like go on about that. I was like, yeah, whatever. Just the medicine will make me feel better like by next week is what I was thinking. And then that was on a Thursday. So then by Tuesday. Just um, a one quick question, Chelsea. So when you went to your doctor, were you diagnosed with anything in order to get those meds? Yeah, diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety that day. Mm-hmm. So then they started me on um, like an antidepressant like a low dose, like five milligrams or something or 10, I uh, 10 milligrams. Um, and then, yeah. So like over the weekend, I wasn't alone with the kids ever. Like my mom was there or my husband was there and I was like feeling okay. And then come Tuesday, I just like exploded, like something in me switched. And I was like, I'm not safe anymore. I'm going to do something to hurt myself. And it was really scary. So what happened on Tuesday to prompt us to go to the hospital is I burned myself when I was making supper. And I don't know still now if that was on purpose or an accident. Like I can't remember or distinguish like what happened there. And so I burnt myself and just collapsed on the floor, like in tears, called my mom. She rushed over to help. And I just, same thing, couldn't stop crying again. So then my mom decided she would take the boys. And at that point, Nick is only six weeks old. So I've never been away from him and she was going to take the boys to her house for the night and she said you have to just stay here and like get some sleep and you'll be better in the morning so then she took the kids she packed them up and they were about to leave and we were sitting on the stairs and our staircase has like a metal banister with these little ornate like square sharp like decorative things and so we're sitting on the stairs and they're about to leave and all I can think about is wanting to like smash my head into those like little decorative things because I just wanted everything to stop like I just wanted the thoughts to stop I wanted these feelings to stop I just didn't want to 
deal with it anymore. And like the only reason I didn't do that is because Carter was there. He's four. And I kept saying, like, don't let your four-year-old see you do that. Like if he hadn't been there, I would have for sure. Chels, um, when you say thoughts, mm-hmm. what thoughts were racing? Like what noise did you want to silence in that moment? I wanted the thoughts of him being a burden and like not wanting to take care of him virtually like I felt like I hated him like I felt like I hated my baby and so every time he cried I was like oh my god I don't want it like stop I'm not picking you up or like I didn't want to change him I didn't want to play with him like I just didn't even want to be near him I didn't want to be in my house I wanted all of that to stop like I wanted to just like feel normal for a minute and like want to enjoy my baby and it started to affect like how I was thinking about Carter too. And like, it just started to spiral so quickly that I just wanted all of that to go away. So it did kind of start trickling down to Carter. Like initially, was it just Nicholas? And then it just evolved. Yeah, it was just mm-hmm. Nick. Um, and then it started because Carter would also get more needy, right? Because he just got a sibling. It's his first little brother. Um, he's four and a half. So he's only ever known mom, right? And so he's more needy. And so then it started getting like, well, I'm not playing with you. Like, I can't play with you, Carter. I'm not dealing with Nick. I don't want to do anything. Like, don't talk to me. Nobody talk to me. And like, yeah, like, so just in that moment, I wanted all of it to stop. But like, thank goodness I had the sense, like, don't do this in front of Carter because that will traumatize him. And so thankfully, like, I was able to stop and my mom was able to take them. But yeah, so then after they left, I told Dan, I was like, I don't think that I'm safe on my own right now. Like, I think that I'm actually going to hurt myself. So I think we have to go to the hospital, which was like hard. That's hard to admit, right? That like, you're not safe from your own mind. Like, that's just a messed up place to be in. Like, you... I've never struggled with depression or anxiety or any mental health issues before this. Like I had nothing with Carter after I've never experienced it. So it's quite the like isolating place to be because you don't, you don't know what's happening. Nobody else knows what's happening or what to do or how to help you. So yes, we went to the hospital. I was seen by the psychiatrist there and then he placed me on a hold it's called so it's a 24-hour hold where you can't leave um like a psychiatric hold I guess it would be called um and because I was at risk of hurting myself so the next morning on the Wednesday morning they transferred me to Pinoka I'm in Red Deer but the Red Deer psych unit didn't have any beds so they transferred me to the Centennial Center in Pinoka with like which has like dedicated wards for psych and when I got there they you see another like a care team like your psych and like nurses and stuff like that um and they put me on another hold and so if you get two holds within 24 hours they can keep you for up to 30 days which I didn't know when I like went or agreed or whatever so when they told me that I was like oh my god like what did I do? Like, I don't want to be here. 
I don't want to be away from my kids for 30 days. Like I didn't realize what I was getting into. I mean, it's good, I guess. Like I needed to be there, but that was hard to, that was really hard to hear and really hard to tell my parents and my husband that, hey, I could be here for a month. It was, yeah, difficult. Yeah, so I was there the first time for a week and then I started to feel better. They upped the dosage, dosage of the meds, started to feel better. So I discharged on a Tuesday and I was like feeling good. I'm like, okay, we're, we're fine now. Got home, went home and spent those four days at home. And then I wasn't sleeping well. So mind you, from the time that I was pregnant, like last trimester to up to now where Nick is now eight weeks old, I'm only sleeping an hour a night. Even when he's asleep, I'm not sleeping. Like I'm worried all night. I'm researching things. I'm panicking that he's gonna die in his sleep. I'm checking on Carter a million times. I'm not sleeping. So insanely sleep deprived. Um, so sleep was really important like at the hospital and when I got out of the hospital. And that Friday night that I was out, Carter had slept in our bed with us and he woke up super early, like 5.30 or six. And I hadn't slept like only more like an hour that night. And so when he woke up, I heard a voice tell me to, Oh, it's so hard. The voice told me to smother Carter because he is a threat right now. So that was really scary. Um, like it wasn't my voice. It was like a distinct, like scary voice. And it was so loud. And like, I didn't understand where it was coming from. I didn't see anything. Um, so I told Carter, like, you need to go, like, get out of this bed, basically. Like, go find daddy, tell him mommy cannot get up right now. So he went and did that. And I stayed in bed for hours because I didn't know what to do. Didn't want to go tell Dan, hey, like, this just happened. Because I knew I was going to have to go back to the hospital. And the psych ward is not a very fun place. Um, not that anybody would think that it would be. Um, but it's, yeah, it's like a scary place. So you don't really want to go back there, you know, if you can avoid it. So I finally did go up and tell Dan because like I knew I needed to. Um, he made a plan, like we made a plan for me to go to a friend's house for the day to get away from the boys. Like maybe I just needed a good sleep. Um, but then when I was telling my friend the story, she was like, you have to go. Like you need to go back to the hospital. And she was like, I'll give you some time if you need, but we're going back basically. Um, so she took me back that night, her and another friend. So then, yeah, I was back in the same unit, back at Panoka. Um, they upped the dose of the one med. They put me on an antipsychotic to help with the voices. But then I was only there four days and my doctor told me, there's nothing I can do for you here. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm hearing voices telling me to hurt my kid and there's nothing you can do. You want me to leave today. You want me to go back home to these babies that this voice is telling me to hurt. Like I was so 
mind blown at that. Like, she was like, well, we're a stabilizing facility, not a treatment facility. And I was like, okay. And this is stable. Like, this is what we call stable right now. Like, I just was mind blown. And so she was like, well, you can stay one more day if you want. And I was like, so you're kicking me out tomorrow, essentially, is what you're telling me. And she was like, yeah, because I don't know what else we can do. And I was just like, um. So there were no referrals. It was literally, hey, peace. Literally that, yeah. Didn't give me a psychiatrist on the outside. Nothing. Nothing. Just go to therapy is what I was told. And I was like, cool. Yeah, great. I'll just figure this out on my own, basically. So I wasn't comfortable going home, um, but knew that like, hey, fine, I'm not going to stay here. So I talked to my husband and my family, and we made a plan for me to go and live at my family's cabin in Gull Lake with my brother. Um, My parents lived there too, but they were, or they were living in Red Deer at the time. So I went out there to live with my brother and he was going to take care of me. And I would go drive in to see the boys whenever I could take tons of breaks. And that's what we were going to do. So we did do that. I stayed out there for a few weeks. Um, but I had another incident of hearing voices while I was out there. And this one was really scary. Like the first one was really scary too, but this one like shook me to my core because I was driving back to the lake by myself and you take like a side road, like a back highway kind of. And so I had just turned on to the back highway and there's a car in front of me and it's a mom. I can see she's like talking to her baby in the back and I can see the bucket seat and she's like laughing and like obviously having a good time with her baby. And then this voice so loud said, hit her. You have to hit her. Like you need to hit that car. And I literally said out loud, like, why? And then the voice was like, she, if he, if she, if you can't be happy with your baby, she can't be happy with hers. And like, I felt the car, like I did rev up and like, I didn't know, like, I wasn't thinking I'm not processing. This voice is telling me to do this. So I'm starting to listen. And then I finally, like, thank God clicked and pulled over and let her get as far away from me as possible. But that time it felt so real that like, I looked around the car and was like, did I pick somebody up on the way out here? Like, is there somebody in the backseat like really telling me to do this? Like, I really didn't, I couldn't discern reality from fake at that point. Like, I didn't know, like it really felt like I did need to listen to them, which is so terrifying. Like, I just, if I hadn't clicked back in, like, I can only imagine what could have happened, you know? Like a split second decision could have ruined her life, my life, that baby's life. Like, it's just, it's really terrifying to think about like the what ifs, you know? So I went home like to the cabin and I told my brother and I said like, I don't know what to do. Like, I really don't know what to do right now. So I didn't go home for a while after that. I stayed at the cabin, I didn't drive, um, waited till like I didn't hear voices for a long time. Like that was the last, those were the only two incidents that I had. Um, but I stayed away from my boys for a while for that because 
I just, I didn't feel like I was safe around anybody at that point. Like my brother, that was it. Um, so yes, then at that point I'm on one medication, an antidepressant and an antipsychotic. So those two, um, starting to feel better. Like as the weeks go on, I'm starting to feel good. I'm stabling out, like stabilizing a bit. And then we go to Mexico. My mom and I and my two boys had planned a trip like in January with my girlfriend and her mom and her baby. Um, and so we decided to still go because we're like, well, the change of scenery might help. Um, spending time with the boys will be really good, like making memories that it's a good opportunity to bond with Nick, all of that. So we decided to go. And before the trip, like three, four days before, I started feeling like it wasn't worth fighting anymore. Like I wasn't getting better. I was doing everything they were telling me to do. I was going to the gym. I was going to therapy every week. I'm talking to the doctors. I'm taking breaks from the kids. I'm spending time with them when I can. I'm doing everything, literally everything in my power to get better. And I'm still feeling depressed and still feeling like I'm never gonna get out of this at this point. So this is like mid-April. So we go on this trip and my son is almost five. And the whole time I'm on the trip, I'm trying to make so many memories with him because I'm thinking <clears throat> that this is going to be so nice for him to have this last memory with mom. And like, when we get back, um, then I can like carry out my plan and he'll have all of these memories. And so he can look back at that and have this great memory of this happy mom on this trip. Um, and I didn't tell anybody that I was feeling like that, like that whole trip. I didn't tell my friend or my mom or anything. And I didn't tell my husband before anything. I was just, I was so done at that point that I wasn't going to talk about it. And I was just going to get out basically. Like that's where I was. Um, so we get back from the trip. I go home on a Friday, see the boy, like see Dan, whatever. Saturday, we had like a family birthday party in Edmonton at the mall and it was so chaotic, so many people. And I like that whole day, I was like, okay, again, I'm going on this family birthday trip so that my family has this really nice last memory, this last day that we've all spent together. Um, and they can look back and like, we have this great memory of this last day together. So that was a Saturday. And then Sunday night, I started thinking more seriously, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. Um, I had all those like pills, like those medicine, like the antipsychotics and stuff. I was like, okay, that's like, that'll be the easiest way and the less, like the least traumatic way for people to find me. Like it'll be, so like I was really thinking, like had thought it all out, had made this plan, got the bottle, was about to like take them all. And then thankfully something clicked and I was like, okay, is this actually what you want to do? Like really stop and think about this. Um, so I phoned my brother and thank God he answered because I don't know, like, I don't think I would be here if he hadn't answered that phone call. Like I really just, I don't think he would have. I was at my parents' house that night and they were sleeping upstairs. Um, and so I told my brother like, hey, this is like, this is where I'm at right now. Um, I don't know what to do. I don't think I can stop myself from taking these. Um, 
so he like talked me down a little bit and we when he before we got off the phone he's like okay you need to go up and talk to mom like go find mom and I said I was going to but like I wasn't right and thankfully he had the good sense to phone her and say like hey Chelsea's in trouble you need to get down there basically um so I did I did actually end up going upstairs and I just told them like I I'm done I'm not fighting this anymore I'm not getting better I'm not going to get better this is my life now forever and I don't want to do this and my kids are better off with a different mom that is happy and can take care of them and like I'm not the right one for them Dan's better off with a different wife that is here and like mentally capable and so I'm just I'm done I'm not doing it I don't want to so I slept with my mom that night and she rolled over and she says you know Charles I don't think we're equipped to deal with this like I know you don't want to go back to the hospital but I don't think that you can stay home like we're not you're not okay so I went back to the hospital the next day Red Deer this time and they had a bed so I was admitted there for 11 days this time so I spent almost two weeks there um I had a better psych that time and they gave me another med so they added a second antidepressant um and so that combination was like the perfect ticket so that thankfully started making me feel better and I was starting to feel more confident and like missing the boys. The first time I had missed them in this whole journey of like six weeks to Nick being four months, it was a long stretch. Um, but I finally like wanted to be around them. And it was like, I came out of a fog kind of, but yeah, so I spent 11 days there and came home on May 5th. So I've been home now for about two months better not 100 percent. obviously i mean i've been through some drama now um but we're starting to like level out a little bit now i'm home a lot more now i'm home most nights i'm taking care of the boys we're getting there but i just think like it's so important to share these stories because i've never heard of anybody that's gone through any of this and like you just feel like you're so crazy like I still feel like I'm crazy I still feel like I yeah still struggle with like I'm this horrible mom and all of that you know like it's gonna take a while to get through that I think and like the lasting effects and one of the things is I have no memory of those months like with Nick so I don't remember him as a baby. I don't, somebody asked me the other day, cause he's like fighting his bottles now. And somebody asked me, oh, has he always been this difficult to feed? And I was like, I don't know. I do not remember. I do not know. So I only know of him from newborn to four months. I only know of him in pictures and video. There's nothing there. Like I don't have a single memory of that, which, like that is so hard for me like he's our last baby and like that newborn phase is so special you know like that is that's hard I struggle with that right now 
But yeah. Well, first off, I'm going to say thank you for sharing that. Secondly, I'm going to tell you, you are a very good mom. So don't ever doubt that. Okay. Um, Kaylin, I saw you writing down some stuff. I know you've got questions, my friend. I do. Okay. Chelsea, honestly, um, this is what I appreciate people like you because I do not have children, but I know that if I do have children, things to look for. Um, and even knowing your background, knowing that you love children so much that you went into a profession to teach them, and then you fought so hard to have babies, and then you got to the point where you're like, I, I, I don't, why is this happening? Like, this is not me. Um, so much self-awareness because, um, you know, I've talked to some people, and of course everyone's journey is so different, but um, that is a hard part is a lot of people don't know that they're in it and they can't fight those voices. So, um, that is, is really awesome that you could be that self-aware and for you to come onto a podcast and say, I didn't like my child at that point is, is huge because then I know that if this ever happens to me that I'm not, no one's a monster. Like there's nothing like this is not you. This is this is something else taking over, and it's scary. And good for you for um, asking for help because I think a lot of people suffer with this without being able to talk about it because they don't have the words and they're scared of the judgment. So, thank you for bringing um, a language, some words around this, and and normalizing it. Um, my question for you is because, like, after listening to your story um what happens only if you're okay with sharing uh what happens in a psych ward because I think that that is a huge fear of a lot of people like if I do admit something is wrong or I feel this way like I don't want to end up there for 30 plus days or you know like um can you shed any kind of light around what actually happens in a psych ward and um and if, and yeah, <laughs> that's my question. <laughs> if, wow, when I walked in there, I was like, I am terrified right now. Um, it's so the one in Pinoka is a little bit different than the one in Redger. The one in Redger is very small, not a lot of resources. Pinoka has a little bit more because it's a center, like specifically for mental health and brain injuries. Um, so a typical day, say, in the psych ward in Pinoka would be you wake up and you have your breakfast um, in like a little cafeteria sort of so all the patients eat in there and so this one has a female wing and a male wing but we're all together um like yeah it's like a triangle sort of thing um so you have your breakfast you go to like a medicine window just like you know like if you've ever seen movies like in jail where they go to like the little like half door window it's like that and so you go you take your meds you stick your tongue out and show them that you swallow them and then you go on about your day. Um, they had one group a day, a therapy group. Um, I guess kind of therapy. It wasn't us talking. It was like the guy giving us kind of life skills basically. So we talked a lot about like deep breathing and meditating and like coping with grief, that kind of stuff. Um, 
which was fine, but it wasn't specific to my situation. So like coping skills are great um, and so many people need them, me included, but it wasn't, I had a hard time like getting the most out of it because it didn't feel like it applied to my situation. Um, so yeah, one group for that. Then you would have lunch, same thing in the cafeteria and take your lunch meds if you had any. Um, in the afternoon, they had a rec group there every day. So we would either get to go on a walk outside, which was so lovely. If you had privileges, you had to have privileges to go off the unit. Um, and so you only get those if you're somewhat stable and they think you're not a flight risk and you're going to listen to the staff basically. So I got privileges the second day I was there. Um, so for rec, you got to go for a walk outside or you got to go, they had a gym there. Um, so we could go play badminton or whatever, like a gymnasium. Once a week, we got to go swimming. They have a swimming pool there. So that was really nice. And then they have it's called the Rendezvous. It's a little, it's like a bar, um, but not a bar. <laughs> like you can get pop and like snacks or whatever. And they have foosball and you can play cards and whatever. You got to go there once a week too. So you would go to rec if you had your priv, if you had your privs, your privileges. Then you would come back, you'd have supper take your meds. That's it. And supper's at 4.30. So from five o'clock until you go to bed, it's, there's nothing. It's whatever you fill your time with. So it's a lot of, if you don't have your privileges, especially, it's a lot of just sitting there. You just sit there. There's a common area with a TV and like a long table. And that's about it. So it's a, it's pretty isolating. Are you allowed to like bring books in with you? Like, are you allowed outside things like books and? As long as like they check everything you bring in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you could have, so I got lots of crossword books and books and coloring. We did a lot of, I did a lot of coloring, um, did a lot of crosswords, did lots of journaling, like that kind of stuff. In Red Deer, it was a lot harder to fill the time. It felt like because there was no rec. Well, that's not true. There was rec but it wasn't every day and you only got to go outside once a week in Red Deer and it was every Tuesday. So how it worked was I got admitted on a Monday night. I didn't have my privileges on Tuesday yet. So I was inside from Monday morning when I went to the ER all the way for an entire week until the following Tuesday. So eight days I was inside, no fresh air, no seeing the outside. Like thankfully my room had a window. Um, but that like even that is crazy to me like I don't know how we're gonna get better if we're not even getting fresh air mm -hmm. That's my um for people listening to your story and if this resonates with someone or hey you may be listening to this and find yourself in this situation or something later on do you have any I mean everyone's so individual everyone's story is so individual but like I guess recommendations like when you take that step and say, Hey, I'm not okay, I need help, and you're admitted. What did you find helpful in those moments where you were inside or you had those like blank spaces where you just had to fill? What did you find beneficial and helpful? Two things the most. So, number one was really taking that time to look at myself and look at what do I need? 
because my mom had her opinion of what was going to be good. My dad, my brother, my sister, you know, everybody has these thoughts, which are so great. And everyone is so supportive and trying to help, but I needed to know what I needed when I was going to get out. Where did I need to be? Could I be at home with the kids or did I need to be somewhere else? Could I like, I really had to spend some time figuring out me. And so that was really helpful. The other thing that I found super helpful because I'm a really social person was finding somebody to connect with. So I, thank goodness, in Pinoca, the first night I was there, I made friends with this wonderful woman. Um, she was there for not postpartum, but similar, like we were very similar on the outside. And so we became very close and we talked about everything. Like, you know, when you meet people like on the outside um, and it takes a while for you to get to know people and like you talk about surface things first and then you eventually kind of trickle your way in, in there because we're all there to get help. We're all vulnerable. It just, you go straight to like real shit basically. So she and I talked about everything and it was so, so helpful to have somebody to talk about because you're not like you talk to your doctor once a day but they just ask how are you feeling how did you sleep like basically that's it so they're not asked like they're not you're not getting any like therapy or help you know so talking to people in there became very like therapeutic so that was the biggest thing and then when I was in Red Deer um I connected with there was actually a lot of um 18 year olds in there that time so they were so young um so I connected a lot with them and kind of like mothered them a little bit so we had a little coloring group every night at eight o'clock we would sit there and color for an hour and talk and whatever so for me being super social that helped um and visits with your family like if be on your best behavior so that you can get the privileges so that your family can come so I set up a visit every day um, in Pinoca and in Red Deer, I made sure I had somebody come every day because I needed to see my people and know that I'm loved and supported and all of that. So those were the biggest things that helped me. I guess that was three things, but yeah. You could have listed 20. That's fine. <laughs> those were the Because I think, and I'm just, but that would probably be, and just listening, like, going into the unknown. And like you said, it's like a movie. Cause that's all we, if you've never been, yes. you don't know. Yeah. It is exactly like the movies and like, it is a scary place. Like there is a lot of things that are happening around you that are it, like, it's scary. If you've never dealt with mental health, especially like I've never dealt with mental health issues. I don't have a lot of people in my family that deal with it or not outwardly anyways. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're in there with a big cast of people, right? Like tons of, that's what me and my friend would say. We'd say, it's just like the cast of characters. Like who's going to come out tonight? Who's going to be calm today? Is this person going to be screaming? Um, so it's a lot of, yeah, like it can, it's very loud. It's very bright. It's people are angry and cause you're locked in there, right? It's like, it's like jail like you can't leave and whoever you're in there with is who you're in there with so if you piss somebody off you need to be careful or you know like you have to really walk on eggshells so it is yeah if you've never been like it's terrifying and I was so 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 scared when I went in there like I 
the first day I stayed in my room the whole day because I was terrified, didn't know what to do. I had a roommate um, and she scared me <laughs> just because I don't know her or why she's here or anything. So I, yeah, I stayed in my room that whole first day. And then I finally met my friend that night. And so that she kind of eased me out into the common area, thankfully. Did you feel safe from your mind there? Um, Did you find a sense of peace and calm there? Just like with what you were dealing with? Um, not at first. Like I spent the, well, so it's three hospital admittances. So the first one I spent angry at myself, angry at the doctors, angry at the world. Like, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Like, I would not wish this on any mom, but why me? Like, yeah, I just, I was so angry. So I didn't feel peaceful there. I did try to really focus on sleep, but I just was mad. And then the second time I was starting to focus more and like finding a little bit more peace, like, okay, I'm clearly not better. I'm like, went like getting worse. So how am I going to get out of this? That's how I spent the second time. Like, really motivated to find that piece and figure out what I needed. And then the third time when I was suicidal, I was really at peace that time there because I knew that I needed to be there, that if I was not there, I would not be alive. So I needed to be there. So that time was like the most peaceful probably because I knew that like the other times I knew I needed to be there too. But this time it was like, this is, literally do or die you know so that time I spent a lot of time on my own reading and journaling and figuring out my purpose for life like do like do I want to be here and why do I want to be here and trying to figure that out so that time was a lot more mindful I would say Um, Chelsea, please remind me. So the first time that you went to your doctor, were you diagnosed with just postpartum or was it postpartum psychosis? Like what was your di- diagnosis? First time was postpartum depression and postpartum depression and anxiety as well. Um, okay. I also learned through this that there's so many different types of like postpartum. There's postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum OCD, postpartum psychosis, all of that, which I didn't know before that. So yeah, first I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety. And then the psychosis part came after I started hearing the voices. Mm -hmm. So with um, that diagnosis, then you got on meds. Like, I'm just trying to understand in anywhere in this, did you learn about postpartum or your diagnosis? Like, how does this happen? I, I believe postpartum is like a chemical imbalance in the, in the brain right yeah okay yeah and then um and so you started with depression anxiety you started taking the pills like do you think that that's what brought on these thoughts or was that also um yeah what do you think yeah I don't know so I didn't learn like my doctor would tell me a little bit about what postpartum but mostly like hey it's a chemical imbalance Mm -hmm. that's what get you balanced so I did a lot of research on my own about what it was and like how I could help and whatever. But I think starting the meds, those meds I think did bring on the like the 
self-harm thoughts and all of that. Like I, that is a typical, like a, not typical, but it can happen from those meds. Um, but I don't think that those meds like brought on the psychosis and stuff. Like, I think that was just my condition worsening and like just kind of bottoming out at like the absolute worst it could be basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, cause the meds take six to eight weeks also to like get into your system and like help, which is also insane. Cause like living six to eight weeks like that is just crazy. Um, so, but by the time I was on them for eight weeks, I still was feeling awful. And then it was after that, that I started feeling really suicidal and was taking that really seriously. Um, so yeah, I just think that my condition just for whatever reason, I don't know, but it just was so severe. Well, like you said too, like, I can't imagine that was a very long period of time and let's and you're a mom struggling with this fact. So compounded on, and like you said, you were self-aware and you had those rational, like you had the rational thoughts that would come in and to sit there. And like you said, like not miss them, but in your head, you're like, why am I not missing them? That's a long haul. I literally asked myself that every day. I was like, why am I not missing my kids? Especially Carter. Like Nick is new, so I understand bonds take a while, but Carter and I have a really good bond. He's almost five. Like, why wasn't I missing him? Mm -hmm. Like that part was just, yeah, like so many questions. Like, why is this happening to me? Why don't I miss my kids? Or my husband? Or like I wasn't struggling with not being at home. I would have I rather didn't want to be at home. I wanted to be literally anywhere but my house but my house. I didn't want to see them because my house reminds me of like my kids and what I should be doing and all of the things like I should be able to parent and clean and you know all of that so yeah yeah Yeah. that's a long haul and now you're back home yeah back home um came home May 5th and my husband went into a turnaround right after that I don't know if you guys know what a turnaround is, but it's basically they like the plant shuts down where they work. And so they work like he goes from working four days a week to working six days a week. So that was a long haul. Um, So we went straight into that. So my mom helped a ton during that time and his mom as well. Um, We were kind of shifting between grandmas, like who was helping me with the kids at that time. And then a few weeks ago, my mom told me that she had kind of reached her limit like she was burnt out and like because we think that this is still going to be a few months right of trying to figure this out um so she very kindly told me that hey I think you need to get some outside help like you need to hire like a nanny or something because I'm just like I'm maxed out right like this has been three and a half four months right um so we've hired hired a nanny um she comes three days a week and she's fantastic. She helps with Nick. She like watches the, she watches the kids. If I'm doing house stuff, if I'm with the kids, then she'll do the house stuff. Um, Carter also still goes to daycare, like day home. So that's really helpful. And so right now I have a lot of flexibility. I can pop in and out when I need to. I can take a nap when I need to. I can be at home with the kids when I can. So that's super helpful. 
and I'm lucky that we are able to afford to do that. And like the privilege that we have in this whole situation is not lost on me. Like I have a village, I have a support system. My kids were safe and able to be taken care of somebody else while I was, this was happening. Um, so that part is really not lost on me because I know so many women would not have that. Like they would not be able to go be admitted because their kids would not be able to be taken care of by anybody else. So that piece is very like present on my mind as well to know that I'm so well supported and can get through this with help. Um, yeah, that that is really, really good because, I mean, I think that I used to be so quick to judge when you saw things on the news about moms doing ter- terrible things to their children but it's it's not them like this is this is the reality is like there are conditions like this and there's just not the support and the research or the resources to help um people that are struggling and it is amazing that you have a village but it just you know if you didn't like that's that's not your fault either you I just I I'm just so revved up about this. Like, we just need to do more as a society, I think. And um, after hearing about your experience and everything, um, in your opinion, what what do you think would be beneficial in um, supporting women that go through this? What do you think we need more of other than support, like I just said? But <laughs> I think, like as a whole postpartum care is atrocious in our world it is absolutely horrendous like we I think that needs to be a huge thing I mean like obviously we can't do much about that but if I could like fight for that I would like there should be a lot more postpartum care there should be more mental health screening like we should be asked more questions than hey how are you feeling at your six-week checkup um but as far as like us supporting our friends maybe who are going through this, I would say like, check in on your people, check in on your friends that have had babies and really ask them like, are you feeling okay? Do you like, are you good with your baby right now? Can I come help you in any way? Can I hold the baby while you make supper or can I make supper while you hold the baby? Like really check in on those people. Like motherhood is all consuming, all changing, like, and the dads too, right? Like everybody, parenting people need support and they need to like know that they're not alone. And yeah, like even like you say, like if you don't have a village, that's not your fault. And we like as a society need to be the village for people, you know, like step in where you can and just be there for people that, need you and encourage them to talk with you and let them know that you are a safe place and that you won't judge them because that was one of my biggest things is that I didn't want to say anything at first because I didn't want the judgment I didn't want people to think of me differently and especially being that I'm a teacher and it's already like we have to really be a certain way in public you know and so I didn't want people to have their opinion of me changed like permanently. But when I started talking about it, 
it was like, I just basically said, screw it. I, I'm not going to pretend that this didn't happen to me. I know it's not my fault. I didn't do anything to cause this. And I'm still afraid. Like I'm still nervous at the judgment. And like you said, right? Like we're so quick to judge those mothers that we see. And I, me too. Like I have always been like that. I'm always like, I don't understand how a mother could do that to their kids. But now having gone through this, like I understand. I don't condone it. I still like, of course that's horrific and so sad, but I have more empathy for the mom because I like, I do understand if you were hearing those voices that I was hearing, if you were hearing them all day, every day, you would believe them. Like you're not, you can't stop yourself from believing them. Like I really do think that you would believe that what they are telling you is true. And so I do have a lot more empathy now for mothers that go through this. And like, I just wish that our postpartum care was better. Mm-hmm. I think too, motherhood is, it's isolating. I mean, you just go through a marathon of bringing another human life. Let's not like ignore the nine months or however long it took to grow this life. You went through a marathon to bring it, however you brought it into this world. And if you have a C-section, it's two days. Hey, have fun. We'll ask you how you're doing extremely vaguely at six weeks. But don't forget all the societal pressure that's out there. Totally. And like you said, as a mother, it's hard to admit when it's not okay because of that judgment. And because we also are in the realm of social media, which we've talked about too. And in your head, you're like, well, shit, what the hell is wrong with me? Every every mother is posting these beautiful pictures and they're so happy and they went home on day three and like everything's fine. They're baby sleeping through the night. And like, it's, you know, because we only post highlight reels and mm-hmm. it's so easy to fall into that trap. And and nobody talks about this. Mm-hmm. Nobody says they had postpartum depression until somebody else says it. Like now that I've shared my story a few times, people I'm finding out people are like, oh, I had it so bad. I'm like, what? Like, I didn't know that. Even some of my close friends, I'm like, I did not know that you were struggling. Like, it's just not talked about. No. But I understand why it's not because there's no support. People are judgmental and they're going to think that you're a terrible mom. So why would people talk about it? And on the exterior, you look okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that um, mine, very mild with Rael, but on the exterior, I looked fine. Little did people know I couldn't get out of bed because I was so sad, right? But why would anyone ask? Because I made a pot roast and well, when I'm out, I'm, I'm still in leggings, but they're very well kept leggings. Yeah, but especially because as moms, we just do it, right? There's an expectation for us to be somewhere and do something. So we just do it no matter what. And it's like that thing when like, when you're sick and your kids are sick, but you still have to take care of them and you just do it. It's the same thing, right? Like I, you just get through it because you have to. And then you go home and you cry all night and nobody knows, or you cry in the shower and nobody notices, right? Mm -hmm. Like I reflected with Dan, my husband about it and, and my mom. And I said like, did you guys notice anything before I said anything? Like, 
because I felt at the moment he was born, probably even in my pregnancy, if I really think about it. Um, and both of them are like, no, well, I didn't know at all. And I was with both of them 24 seven the whole time, right? But I would cry in the shower or I would cry in the car when they weren't there. Or like you just, women are really good at masking. And like, so even my closest people had no idea. Well, in that time too, it's like, oh, maybe I'm just hormonal. Oh, maybe this, or maybe that. Or like, the thing is, is women are definitely good at masking, but there's so many things that could, we could chalk it up to be too, right? Like, it's just. We're masters at that. Mm -hmm. We are masters at the, it could be this. Yeah. That is so true. Like, oh, yeah, you're so, it's so easy to minimize and be like, well, it's just the hormones or it's just the baby blues or I'm just tired. I didn't get a good sleep last night. You know, like it's so easy to just minimize it. Well, and I think too, like to anyone listening, um, maybe you're in the midst of it again, maybe it will come later. A really big piece is Chelsea's story is unique to Chelsea. But if your story doesn't follow her track, that does not mean that it's not valid. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're sitting in bed and you have a hard time getting out and all you can do is take care of your little, like that is it, that is valid and that is real and that is worthy of care. And I think that's a very big piece to put. Don't compare your story to anyone else's because you are your own unique individual and your journey is your own unique journey. And And in so many ways, and there's so many like levels of it and severity and everything. But if you feel that you need help, please ask for help. Please reach out. Like if you feel like something is wrong or something is off, even if like Belle said, if it's not as severe as mine or whatever, like get help when you feel like you need, don't, don't push it down. Don't let it like don't internalize it and let it think that you're this horrible person because that's not true I saw this post that said um postpartum depression is a liar and that like sits with me so well because it's like everything that your brain is telling you during that time is not true Mm -hmm. but you don't like you do believe everything it's saying and but just like keep I had to keep repeating that to myself like this is a liar this is not who I am Mm-hmm. it's a process it takes a little while to yeah and I think also with a newborn too because everyone's like oh my god congratulations you must be over the moon blah blah blah, blah. and you're like yes yes I am everything is awesome because I should be feeling awesome and I just brought life into the world and yes I feel amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> so, funny. so um when I that time that I was in between my first two admittances, I feel like I had gotten out from the hospital on a Tuesday and then I went back on Saturday. That Friday night, I met a girlfriend for drinks at like a pub and two of my friends, like old friends that I haven't seen for a long time, they walked in and they came up and they gave me a hug and they're like, how's the baby? Like, you must be feeling so good. Like, just like what you're saying, that's so exciting. And I'm just sitting there like trying not to cry because I've just gotten out of the hospital two days before, but like, you can't tell them because they're just, passing by so you're just sitting there like I'm smiling I'm like yeah I love him it's so great I'm so happy and inside I'm like dying I'm like this is the worst thing ever 
Oh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, and like, it's a journey. Like they say, what is it? You're not fully out of the postpartum until your child's four. I believe maybe I'm wrong, but I, it's old. So like, I just got out a year ago with Avery, which if you look back, that's fairly accurate because mm-hmm. Yeah, your body changes, your mind changes, everything changes. And then you have to regroup and find who you are now in this season. Yeah, you have to just, like you said, everything changes and you have to pick up the pieces. And they're all new pieces that fit together completely in a new way. Yep. Chelsea, I'm going to be very interested in knowing... um, you know, further down the line, because what you went through is 100% trauma. Like, it, it's traumatic. You don't just, you like, that's a lot. Um, and I think sometimes when we go through trauma, we do suppress those memories. So as time goes by, um, I would be very interested to know that, you know, maybe even six years from now, you do start remembering little parts of um, your son's infancy. I, I would be interested to know if that if that comes back or not because um, I know like even stuff that I've suppressed in my childhood has like and memories that I forget are slowly coming back as um, I'm healing those traumas. So maybe <laughs> I hope so. I would I would really love to remember those things that are not just in pictures. And mm-hmm. yeah, my actually so I'm in therapy like every week right now. Um, with, I've had my therapist for five years. So thankfully she already knew me before all of this. And she does say that too. She's like, we'll work on getting some of this back. And so we're like intensely um, processing. We're doing um, EMDR therapy. Have you guys ever heard of that? Yeah. So we're, we're deep in that right now. We haven't even got to the postpartum stuff yet. Cause we have to do all the other things first, but we're working through it that way. So mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that that will be really helpful once we get to the postpartum stuff because yeah definitely a trauma I would I would say no for sure um any any last thoughts any last things you want to share with our listeners um, I just want to say thank you for letting me have this opportunity this space to share this story um and I would tell listeners that it's really difficult, but you need to, like, you have to put yourself first in this situation. You need to take care of you. It's that same old thing. Like, you need to take care of you before you can take care of others. And I would just encourage you so much, if you are struggling, reach out to anybody and try to get help if you can. Like, if you feel like you need it, reach out. People are there and they will help you will be so much better off I'm so much better off now because I asked for help and I'm still here because I asked for help and and in some cases you might have to ask multiple people like um it's it's not an easy route but it's one that's well worth it because no matter what those voices are telling you in your head or any of the things like the world is a better place with you in it so I think just, yeah, don't lose your fight. We need you. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Mel? No, I'm just, thank you very much for reaching out and sharing your story. Um, because I think it is something that we don't talk about and that a lot of um, humans out there struggle with from varying degrees. So it's good to put it out there so that maybe others feel called and invited and to share. Maybe this is their permission that they needed to go share. Because like Kaylin said, like the world is a better place with you here. You're here for a reason. And you do have little ones who came to you for a reason. So yeah, reach out. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it, Chelsea. This has been, this has just been really good, really good for just anyone in general for me without children to support other people um me before children if I ever choose to have any and um well and everyone else but (laughs) apparently especially me (laughs) I'd like to thank me (laughs) we got you Kaylin we got you Kay Oh, lordy. All right. Thanks for stripping with us. Stay weird.